Jennifer was born in a small farming village in Shandong province in 1983, the oldest of five children. She says memories of her early life are of sacrifice, suffering, shame, and bitterness. That's her in the back left corner of that picture. At Chinese New Year, halfway through sixth grade, she dropped out of elementary school. Her parents needed her help on the farm, and because she was a girl, it was thought that it was a waste for her to spend more time on education now that she could read and write a little bit. That view was very common in small villages in those days. Until she was 15, Jennifer worked as a village farm girl and then moved to Tianjin to earn more money from her family by working in the cafeteria at Tianjin University, cleaning floors and toilets and helping to prepare food. One of the first days on the job, she saw the first foreigner that she'd ever seen, a blonde, blue-eyed young woman who came and spoke to Jennifer in halting Chinese with a smile and warm words. This stunned Jennifer. To her, uh, to the university students and professors, she was invisible, worthless, and useful only for menial work. She already knew this about herself, so it was no problem for her to be invisible. However, this woman acknowledged her, was friendly to her, spoke to her kindly, and gave her a smile. She gave Jennifer a tract that explained about God and Jesus. Many of the words were beyond Jennifer's uh, low reading level, but that was okay. She really wanted the woman's friendship and kindness, not what was in the tract. The woman invited her to study English and introduced her to some Chinese Christians. Jennifer attended fellowship because she saw the love and kindness among the believers and wanted their friendship. She studied English with her new foreign friend using the Bible and remembers a lesson about covenant and what that word meant. She understood the word, but the concept was a mystery to her. Well, after a few weeks of working in the cafeteria, Jennifer decided that she was going to become a student at Tianjin University, one of the top two or three schools in Tianjin, in fact, perhaps one of the top universities in China. So she began studying in the evenings, and in two or three, and less than three years, she finished both middle school and high school curriculum. She continued to attend the Chinese fellowship, and although the preaching and teaching did not make any sense to her, that was okay. She didn't need God anyway. She had begun to realize that she was smart and strong and could get ahead by working hard and studying. She did enjoy the support from her Christian friends now that she had a plan for completing high school and going on to university. After she got her education, she decided she could make lots of money and earn respect from lots of people in her family, in her village, from her classmates, from her colleagues. She would be the strong one to take care of her younger siblings. In the spring of 2002, after months of study, she took a test designed for poor village students who had completed high school in non-traditional ways. If she got a high enough score, she would be admitted to the asso an associate's degree program at Tianjin University. However, her aunt and her cousin and many of her friends from the village wanted to know, why are you wasting your time? They reminded her that she was a poor, uneducated village girl. She would not make it into this top university, and even if she did, she wasn't worthy of such an education. But still, she pushed on. 
We'll come back to Jennifer's story a little bit later on. This morning, I want to look at uh, Paul's prayer in Ephesians. First of all, I want to say that some of the stuff I'm talking about is uh, going to come from The Call by Oz Guinness. Our men's group on Sunday morning is uh, studying this book. Um, I'm not going to talk about primary calling and secondary calling, and I'm not going to talk about the Protestant uh, confusion or the uh, Catholic distortion, um, but I'm just going to talk about uh, identity and the meaning of call. Just want to let you know it's coming from this book that our men's group has been studying. So let's kind of walk through Paul's uh, Ephesians 1 prayer. He says that uh, he's asking that God gives a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him so that your hearts will be enlightened, so that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So just kind of outlining and following the uh, logical flow of this prayer, it, it's kind of threefold. So Paul's asking that God enlighten the eyes of our heart. On the next slide there, Joss. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so that we may know three things. The hope of our calling in, in the Lord, the riches of the glory of our inheritance in this, his inheritance in the sta- saints, and the power of uh, his greatness toward us. So the fact that we need the eyes of our heart enlightened show us that we're talking about things that are beyond the seen reality. And the fact that Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation uh, tell us that even though these three points are are quite simple and not that hard to understand, uh, they're also very deep. And it takes a, 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 a spirit of wisdom and a revelation from God for us to really and truly and deeply understand these. Uh, This morning I want to focus on the hope of our calling and just try and give you a couple of insights into the hope of our calling. But first a couple comments on the power of his greatness toward us and also the riches of his uh, glory and inheritance. So uh, our pastor, the pastor at our home church in Ohio is an African-American, big man, all-American javelin thrower. And so sometimes when he gets wound up, when he gets preaching, he just starts preaching the way, uh, only the way African-American men can. And it's almost ecstatic. And so I think that's what's happening in the part of Paul's prayer where he talks about the power of his greatness toward us who believe. Now, this is my own imagination. I'm not a theologian. Uh, I'm a lay person but this is my imagination of of what's happening. So I'm going to try to read through that in the way that I imagine that Paul is praying as he prays this. So Josh, I think that's coming up. So Paul's praying, he's he's asking for it. He says, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection 
under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul just gets going on the power, the surpassing power of God's greatness toward us who believe. So may we never forget that surpassing power. He also, uh, before that, talked about the um, riches, on the next slide, uh, the, the riches of our inheritance, of his inheritance in the saints. So uh, the Bible talks about inheritance in three ways that I could find. It talks about the Jews inheriting the land, the promised land, and that's much of inheritance that's, ta that's talked about in the Old Testament. Uh, it also talks about believers inheriting the Christian life and including eternal life, so that's part of our inheritance. But it also talks about God inheriting the saints. And so I think that's what Paul means here. He's, he's maybe thinking of the inheritance we have as Christians, but he's, he prays that we would know the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. So what does that mean? Well, uh, we, we uh, talked about this in our graduate classes. We've had students uh, from our schools in Beijing the past three weeks. Uh, and one of the things we've been looking at during our chapel time is this prayer of Paul's. And so we said, what, what could he mean by the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So some of the ideas were that he loves all of us completely and we live a rich variation of lives in him. And if we look around this room, especially here at CCC in Beijing, we see a richness in the variety of our lives. There is rich comfort and peace being part of a community of so many saints. So that's another richness of the glory of the saints. And there's a real richness of his grace and forgiveness given in so many ways to, to us. So some of us have grown up in Christian families, third, fourth, fifth generation. Some of us are rescued out of horrible situations that you just can't imagine that God could save somebody out of. And there's just a variety of testimonies that all testify to the richness of the glory of his grace towards us, us being his inheritance. Um, so I think, is that the last one there, Josh? <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, all right, so now we're going to get to the hope of our calling. Um, and we're going to talk first about our identity and the four C's of our identity. And the first is the C of who we are constrained to be. So if we think of God's calling to us, or we think what makes us who we are, one view is that we are constrained to be a certain thing. So in other words, we're baby boomers. I'm in the exact middle of the baby boom generation. So there are many forces that shape me, and I'm a product of those forces. Or maybe you're Generation X, or maybe you're raised in a Chinese culture that really constrains you to be and act in a certain way. Or maybe you're an American, and we are raised and constrained to be very different and to act in different ways. Maybe you're an introvert, maybe you're an extrovert, maybe you're a feminist. We're all, in some ways, the product of our environment, but this view of us being constrained to be who we are would say that that's what determines us. Our environment determines us, and that's who we are.
Okay, the second C is courage. Who do we have the courage to be? Uh, the great godless philosopher Nietzsche said, we have one choice, we either obey ourselves or we're commanded by others. Uh, when his life got to a certain point, if he accomplished something, he said, I have willed it thus. So his view is that we are just alone in a senseless universe and we can be whatever we can be, whatever we have the courage to be, and there's nothing else out there, and it's a hopeless and pointless existence, so just have the courage to be what you can be. Well, Americans especially love this kind of view, you know, uh, the self-made man, uh, to, uh, uh, what's the army say, be all you can be, uh, or, or uh, the old Nike advertisement, just do it, yeah? So, uh, but, is that it? There's nothing except what we can will, what we can do. So that's, that's this point of view. The third C is um, who are we constituted to be? Picasso said, everyone's nature is constituted in advance. We are who we are, okay? This is a very Eastern view of man. I think on the next slide there, Josh. Uh, yeah, how you are made is your fate, your station in life. Don't desire. Why desire? You can't change anything. Uh, and since you can't change yourself, just find yourself. This is very much a new age approach that Americans uh, were big on a few years ago. You are who you are. Just find yourself. That's all you have to do. So, it, it, then uh, we are made the way we are made, we are who we are, that's it. Is that all there is? So these three uh, views are contrasted with the fourth C, which is calling. Our hope is that we are called and that there is someone who calls us and this someone knows us and we can know him, he loves us and we love him. So when we contrast that with those other four C's, uh, we can see that those are quite hopeless. I mean, there is some truth in each of them, but the end, if you follow each one to its end, it's, it's really hopeless. So the hope that we have being called ones is that um, uh, we are made as unique individuals with a constitution from God. We are constituted a certain way, and we know God made us, and he knew us in our mother's womb. We are influenced by our culture, by our generation, by the forces around us, but we are not determined by that. So we're constituted by God, we're influenced by forces around us, and with courage we can work by his grace and with his help to improve ourselves and the world. This is one of the great gifts God gives, is, is to do meaningful work for him. So there is some truth in that. If you put the truth from each of those together with the fourth sea of calling, then suddenly the hope of our calling, in contrast with these other three seas, just becomes much brighter, at least for me. So that's one look at the uh, hope of his calling. Uh, let's go back to Jennifer's story, I think. Is that next, Josh? No. 
What's next? Oh, <laughs> the, four, the uh, four meanings of the word call. All right. I stopped looking at my notes because they're too small for me. Um, and my arms aren't quite long enough. If I can hold them far enough away, then I still can't read them because they're too small. Anyway, uh, all right, so let's understand the hope of our calling by understanding four meanings of the word call. The first is the simple meaning that it had in Genesis 1 and that it still has today. It's to call out. It's like we call somebody on the phone. We try to get somebody's attention. So that's part of our calling is God calls to us. He calls out to us. The second part is it gives identity. It gives a name. It brings something into being. So God called the darkness night and the light day. And so he's calling them out. He's giving them an identity. He's giving them meaning. Wojiao, Phil Lauscher. I'm called Teacher Phil. That's part of who I am. So the name I am called is part of who I am. God called his people Israel. He gave them a name. So he identifies them. He calls them out. But there's not just the idea of who they are, but also who they are becoming. So the simple call to get our attention, the call of naming something, and then in the New Testament call has a very uh, specific association with salvation. So we are called to Christ. Um, and so the calling, God calls out to us. God calls to us when we're far away. It's very much associated with salvation. Jesus is calling people to him. And then associated with this is the fourth meaning. It's not that just that we're called to Christ, but we're called to a life that goes along with being a Christian, being a called out one. So we're not called just to Christ, we're also called to a lifestyle, to discipleship, to a way. Yeah, all right, we're called to sacrifice, to love, and to follow the way. Now that kind of connects us back a little bit to the uh, Eastern philosophy, the Tao, the way. Uh, Jesus said, uh, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So a very clear way that's a person that we know. But the uh, scriptures of the Tao uh, say uh, the truth that can be known is not the real truth. The way that can be seen is not the real way. So it's hopeless, right? If you think you know the truth, then you're automatically wrong because you can't know it. And if you think you see the way, it's not the way. Because if it was, you couldn't know it. But in Jesus, he is the way, and we know the way. Uh, so it's a very, very important uh, concept in this calling, that we do know the way that we're called to. So back to Jennifer's story. So she's getting ready to take the test to see if she can get into uh, the associate's degree at Tianjin University. Her family and friends are discouraging her, but she pushes on, and after sitting for the exam, Jennifer awaited the results. And when the notification arrived, she found that she'd been admitted to the associate's degree program as an English major. So now she had to take on another job to pay for her schooling because she still had to keep sending money home so that her sister and brother did not have to drop out of high school the way she had. 
By the spring of 2003, life was good for Jennifer. Her life was full of work and study. She still had some time for her Christian friends, including her American friend who now helped her study English as part of her degree program. But God was not gonna let Jennifer go, thinking that she didn't need him. SARS came, her university closed. No students around, nobody out on the street, her restaurants closed. And then, less than a week later, a tree fell on her father at work, uh, breaking his back, and he was paralyzed in the lower part of his body. So like hammer blows, one after the other, in less than two weeks, Jennifer's life has gone from hopefulness to hopelessness. She was called home to the village hospital to see her father and to sign the papers for his surgery. The small village hospital room was dirty, smelly, and crowded in ways that most of us cannot even imagine. Her mom was beside herself with grief and worry and couldn't make any decisions about her father's health. Her little siblings were all gathered there, some of them as young as six, all looking to their big sister. She felt this huge burden on her shoulders. I'm the oldest son, I'm the oldest and also a son, and I know that there's special responsibility for the oldest in American culture, but we don't have the concept in Asian culture of the burden that falls on the eldest. And so she felt that burden. Her life was in ruins. She couldn't bear this burden. And now as the eldest, she must take on the responsibility for the whole family. She looked out the fourth floor window of the hospital she was in, and she decided it would take less courage to jump to her death than to carry this burden. And she actually calculated the angle that would be most likely to kill her. And then she looked around and said, but if I fail, I'll be in bed just like my father. How can I put this huge burden on my mother and my siblings? And so she decided she couldn't jump. So now she had no place to turn, didn't know what to do. And she just tells this story with tears in her eyes. So she went over and sat in a corner of the hospital room. She began to negotiate with God. She had only one thing with her, a Bible that her Christian friends had given her before she left. And so she prayed and said, God, if you can help me with this burden, then I will become a Christian. I will believe in you. And somehow she opens that Bible and begins to look. She finds those closing verses in Matthew. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." What happened next is, is hard for Jennifer to put into words, even though her English is so good. She says that at that moment it was like a direct pipeline to God, and this beam of light came into her heart, and suddenly she understood it all. She understood the sermons. She understood the testimonies of her Christian friends. She says, I even remembered and understood my first English lesson on covenant. And it all made sense to her. She felt that lightness of hope where there had only been despair and burdens 
and pain. She knew she could make it. The long period of God's calling and calling and calling to her had brought her to this place of true hope, the hope of her calling. Well, by 2005, Jennifer had become a strong and dedicated believer. She'd finished her associate's degree, and as a 21-year-old countryside girl who had dropped out of elementary school, she applied for and was hired as a teacher's aide at our Tianjin International School. Very unusual for them to hire somebody with only an associate's degree. Well, Jennifer used her meager salary to continue to support her brother and uh, sister, and then with the uh, help of the international school, she continued to work on her bachelor's degree at Tianjin University and graduated with a bachelor's degree in English. Uh, in the summer of 2006, Jennifer came to Living Rock, our Chinese teacher training center, the one that Rick mentioned that CCC helps support, and she took a class from me. That was the first time I had met her. Well, uh, now she's earned a bachelor's degree from the university where she used to wash floors and cook food, uh, but her younger sister finished her degree first because she didn't have to drop out of school because uh, Jennifer was supporting her. Um, she's put her uh, brother and sister through high school, one through university, the other's finishing university. She's actually tra traveled to America a couple of times to help with uh, camps run by Christian schools there to do cultural and academic experiences for Chinese kids. Last month, Jennifer was in Beijing again, taking classes, <clears throat> this time master's degree classes, and she's one class and one research project away from earning her uh, Master of Education in International School Studies. Uh, Jennifer tells me that uh, she still has a very strong desire to achieve and to do well. She loves to study and work hard, but her definition of success has changed. It's no longer related to the prestige of her job, the level of her education, or the amount of money that she makes. And that's a good thing. Uh, it's whether or not she is pursuing and doing what Jesus wants her to. As much as she is following Christ and abiding in Him, that is her new measure of success. She was also honest with me and tells me it's not always easy to continue to think that way, but she's changing her mind to look at life that way. Jennifer truly has experienced the surpassing power of His, the surpassing greatness of His power She's experienced the richness of the glory of his inheritance and has become part of God's inheritance. And she has surely known the hope of his calling. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great prayer of Paul's that reminds us uh, of your surpassing power towards us that reminds us of the richness that we have in you and that you have in us. And it reminds us of the great hope we have because we are called ones, called out to follow you. Pray that you'd enable us to do that this week in Jesus' name. Amen.